0: Eric, I have a picture that I need you to put up, if that would be all right. Yes, that's it. So that's on a bookshelf at my parents' house. And uh, does anybody else have that same thing in their house? All right, I don't know the story behind it. I tried to ask my parents, and they are too old, and they forgot. Um, but uh, I, growing up, that always sat on the bookshelf, and not once did I see the name Jesus written on it. Like, seriously, I could never see it. My eyes always focused on the lighter, uh, the lighter print, and all I saw was a bunch of symbols. And I'd ask my mom, I'd be like, Mom, what does it say? And she'd say, it's Jesus. I'm like, okay, is it in some other language? Like, do I, you know, like, I totally could not see his name. And uh, Joel, in his, you know, weirdness, he was he thought that there was like a picture of Jesus. Like he took it literally like, he I don't know what's wrong with him. But anyways, I just totally could never see Jesus in it. It wasn't until I was probably 30 that I finally saw it. And it was like, oh, there it is. It was this like enlightening moment, like Jesus was there all along. And I use that uh, just sort of as an uh, easy, cheap illustration about life, uh, life is all about perspective. And uh, this morning, I want to eventually talk about hope. Hope, having hope in our world, is all about having the right perspective. Have you met someone that you would consider as hopeless? Have there been times in your own life, and your own walk, where you too have felt hopeless? There is uh, in our life sort of all kinds of things going on that would discourage us and tear us down and leave us feeling as those who have nothing to live for, nothing uh, to keep our, our, uh, our hearts in it and sort of experience discouragement and sadness. When I think about uh, the sort of Christmas season as we approach and we go forward with, uh, with the Christmas season, it's easy for a lot of folks to be discouraged. It's easy for us to think about family members who have gone before us. It's easy for us to fall into um, frustrations and sadness. And so I thought this morning, as we have studied and walked through the Bible, it would be good for us to spend a little bit of time talking about hope. And so, life is all about the right perspective. For me, it's all about focusing on Jesus. And so, I want to spend time this morning in the book of Romans. We read uh, Romans, uh, we read uh, this week, if you're on track, you read uh, through the majority or the rest of Acts, and then you read about half of Romans. Uh, Romans 8, this morning, is where I'd like to land Romans is uh, Paul's one of Paul's finest works, uh, arguably his finest work. Paul is offering his perspective on Jesus. He's giving um, he's giving one layer after the next of why what Jesus has done and what all he's accomplished. Some would say that Romans is all about grace. I think Romans is all about hope. And here's why. Everything Paul is doing is building up a foundation for which people can walk and live and function and not give up on this unwavering pursuit of who Jesus Christ is. There are so many things coming at Roman Christians that they would be tempted to fall away from God in discouragement and despair. If you think about the ancient world and the first century Christians and what it meant and all of the challenges that were in front of them to walk faithfully, I think they are a people who needed a little bit of hope. And so while Paul talks about grace and he talks about all that Jesus accomplishes, I think the reason why he does all of the theological work is so he can land on the practical unwavering message of hope. That you need encouragement. That these are things that you can hang on to every day of your lives. And you can know these truths about what Jesus has accomplished. So that when your lives are difficult. When you have entered into sadness and despair. When things don't go the way that you hoped for. You can hang on to this. And you can know that you are loved and you belong to God. And so don't give up. Don't give up hope. Before we get to Romans 8, we need sort of Romans 5 to be sitting in our, uh, in our hearts and in our minds. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, he's just gone through all of the justification, how we're justified through faith, not through the law, but what Jesus accomplished through the law. And he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're at peace with him through whom we have gained access by faith into grace into which we now stand. It's this grace that props us up. It's this favor that God has given us. It's this position that we have so that, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is propping us up and he is holding us up with this theological uh, sort of uh, treatise of saying, you are justified through Christ He has done these things. He has reconciled you to God. He has given you peace in God. We see that in verse 8 it says, uh, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you pick up at the end of 6.23, uh, Paul talks about the new life we have in Christ, the life that you have in Him, who you are in Jesus Christ is this For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a sort of truth that if you're looking to live a Christian life, this is the sort of thing that holds you up. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I've fallen away from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Him. What I deserve, the wages of my life, the earnings that I have is death. But the free gift I have in Jesus Christ is that I have eternal life in Him. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. These points that Paul is building up, they sort of come to a a nice sort of summary in Romans 8. And so I want to spend a little bit of time giving the perspective that Paul has on Jesus and what I what I like to think about is Paul's journey. Paul the Pharisee, who was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, and he had the law figured out, and he was he was the uh the rallier behind the law of God. He was a persecutor of the church. He was warring against Christianity, and Jesus stops him in his tracks and he shines his glory and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then the shining bright light of the glory of Jesus, Paul is, or Saul, who, not yet Paul, is blinded. And then he goes to Aeneas and then he sees clearly. I want to look at the world the way Paul sees the world. I want to see it the way Paul views Jesus Christ. And if you want to get a picture of how Paul views Jesus Christ, if you look at Romans 8, things start coming together nicely we're going to spend a little time in it, and I promise, we'll get to hope. But here it is. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I have spent the majority of my life being my own worst enemy. The negative sort of like internalizing of everything that goes wrong is my fault. Um, I think I come by it honestly. I think we all can wrestle with that. The words, there is now no condemnation because of Christ Jesus, needs to be words that we remind ourselves of often, frequently. That the wages of sin is death, yes. And we spend so much time of our lives beating ourselves up and saying, of how terrible, awful we are. But friends, I want to just offer this simple reminder. It's okay to remind yourselves of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ too. There's been a generation of Christians that wanted to remind us about how terrible we've all been. I hope that we would also remind ourselves of how good Jesus has been. Yes, we've all had our part in the destruction and decay and death. All of us have had our part of sin. But we need to remind ourselves, don't we? That there's now no longer a condemnation because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected. We have been forgiven in Christ. In verse 2 it says, because through Christ Jesus, when he leaves, I don't want to embarrass him, the, when he, when I was like three, I was sitting with my grandpa at church and, uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but it just reminded me of a good story. I was sitting in the back with my grandpa and he said, Hey, you need to give the offering into the plate. And so I grabbed his envelope and I walked all the way up to the front of the church and I put the offering in. And then Dan Johnson goes, see, you guys all need to bring your offerings. And, uh, And I was so embarrassed, I sprinted out of the church building. I went and I hid in the library and I cried and I said, I'm never going to church again. I resisted making fun of them. I just want to show my personal growth because I would have, uh, anyways. That's just a side story. I don't know how to turn that into a point other than let's be nice to kids, I guess. All right. Let's keep going. Verse, uh, Chapter 8, verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin of death. You've been set free. The law of sin and death, you have been set free, and you are, have a new life in Christ. And Paul is just trying to bring everything that he's been talking about all throughout uh, the first, couple of, uh, first uh, seven chapters, is that you have a new life in his Spirit. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but live according to the Spirit. And so now we are all invited to no longer live a life of sin in the flesh. We are called to live a life of in accordance to the Spirit. We let the Spirit lead us. We listen to what the Spirit that's in us has to say. So it's no longer about the condemnation, but about this new life. It's no longer about sin and death. It's about how we can become a part of what God's Spirit is doing in this world. If you have Christ's Spirit in you, you can, of all things, live a pleasing life to God. And I think that that's a little bit of a hope that we need to start encouraging in each other, is that we have Christ's Spirit, and we have the Spirit that's advocating for us. We have the Spirit that's leading us and reminding us of God's Word. We have the Spirit that is prompting us and leading us to pray for others, prompting us and leading us to give and care for and shine as Christ's church. We have the Spirit in us so that we no longer live a life of sin that leads to death. We have God's Spirit in us that leads to life and a new life in Him. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible for us to please God if we continue living in the flesh and continue living in our old life. You have a new life in his spirit. You can live a life that pleases God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. He's talking to all of us. He's talking to the Roman Christians, but he's speaking to us still. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him... Who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If you want to know the reason why I have hope, it's because of verse 11. Verse 11 shapes my perspective on who Jesus Christ is, what's going on, why I still can struggle with sin, why I still struggle with living a godly life, but why I keep hanging on to who Christ is. It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. If we look back to the cross, if we look back to Jesus and we look at the cross and we see our Lord and Savior crucified on the cross and resurrected from the dead and given new life, Paul is saying that that Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is also alive in you. That very same spirit, that very incredible act of new life and resurrection is alive in you. And it's shaping you. And it allows you then to have a different outlook on the world, if you let it. If you think about all of the despair and all of the discouragement that this life offers us, I uh, was speaking to some high school students this week and I told them to think about their life backwards. When you're a teenager, you don't think that you're going to die. Or at least you don't think that you're going to die. You don't consider it. But I asked them to think about their lives and what they want for their lives and say, if you want to be remembered well, you need to think about how you live your life today. And I, I think I did it so well. All the light bulbs were on, and I changed all of their lives. They're like, oh, man, that Jordan, whew, that was good. Um, yeah, I'm delusional. I know this, too. Uh, but, friends, we have to think about, we have to think about this. We truly all know where our lives are heading. We know the wages of sin is death but it's this spirit who is alive in us who will make us new in his through his power through the power of the spirit that's in us the same spirit that's alive in Christ that rose him from the dead is alive in you you're no longer condemned you're no longer living in the flesh. You have a new life in him and his spirit. This is what Paul's trying to build up. He's trying to build up courage in you to say that whatever the world throws at you, whatever despair and discouragement, whatever real surreal sense of knowing that you are mortal and that you will die, whatever discouragements that bring on, when you wake up in the morning and you, there's things aren't working right and you got it takes three hours to get finally moving right, all of the decay, all of the suffering, all of the sadness, all of these things that sort of war against us, Paul is saying, there's a spirit that's alive in you that has conquered the very worst consequences that you can face. The very worst thing that can be dished out is something that this spirit has overcome. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying you have life in Jesus Christ. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, he says this, you are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and with Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And then he throws on this little hook. I'm all about this. I'm a child of God. But then he says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 1 through 16, offers this wonderful, beautiful picture. You are God's children. You have God's spirit in you. You have life in him. There's no longer condemnation for you. You're forgiven, you're loved, you're a part of God's family. This is like Paul being Richard Smalley, telling you you you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, God likes you. So much so that he's invited... Yes, that's an SNL quote, and I'll keep them coming. You guys just keep coming back. I'll bring more. None of them are appropriate. Maybe the cowbell, more cowbell. But uh, that's what we need, Zach. All right, I'm, I'm derailed. He's giving us this... Essential understanding that there is life in God's Spirit, and that Spirit is in you. And then he hangs this little thing on there. If we share in his sufferings. and This is the reason why I think Romans is about hope. Because people who follow Jesus suffer. It's not if, but when when we share in the sufferings of following jesus and it could be any number of things the sadness of the loss of life and death it could be the the brokenness of losing someone you love it could be the brokenness of being threatened against your life it could be persecution it could be any number of things it could be our own just sort of mental despair and sadness and hurt but Paul believes and knows and he understands that as long as we're living here in a broken and fallen world, there is going to be suffering. And so Paul, he gives us this perspective. The perspective of who you are in Jesus is that you're a forgiven, loved child of God and you have his spirit in you and that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And so now he says, have courage. Have courage that what you're going through as a Christian is something that Jesus can handle. That there's not too much for Him. And so He says something a little bit radical. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. As bad as it is, our hope is in something that we can't even imagine how good it is. Do you ever find yourself thinking about what heaven will be like? When I was young, my perspective was pretty simple. I thought there were clouds, and I knew there had to be a slide. I mean, that was it. But as I have grown older, as I've hopefully matured a little bit, the the heaven I hope for is the heaven that's described in Revelation 21. As you spend time in life and you bury the people you love, as you spend time in this world and you look at the injustice and you look at people who don't have clean drinking water, you look at people who are enslaved in so many different things, the heaven I hope for is a place where God is with us and he wipes away our tears And he takes away the sin and he takes away the decay and he takes away the sadness and he looks at us and he loves us and he cares for us. I hope there's still a slide too. But what Paul is saying is we can look at the sufferings of this world, but he's promising us that what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is bringing is so much greater and so much better than what we can imagine. So it's okay and we can endure the suffering and we can get through this and we can hang on. And so we hang on to and we stand up and we're propped up by what Paul picture, uh, the picture Paul paints of who we are in Christ as children of God, filled with his spirit. And he says, hang on. Because whatever sufferings we might be facing, whatever's going on, whatever threats that are against us for following Jesus, no matter how great they are, they won't be better than what's coming I was sitting around the dinner table with my dad and when you sit with my dad he tells the same stories over and over again there's this old story about the lady who died it's the preacher story I don't think I've ever told it because you know I'm too high class of a preacher to do it but I'll stoop I'll stoop down today and the lady that died who and she always she, she always sat around the dinner table and she kept her fork and she for her dessert. And she said, the best is yet to come. And so she told her family, bury me with a fork in my hand. So when they put me in the casket and everybody can ask, you know, why? what's the fork for? And you guys can tell everybody, the best is yet to come. Why did I tell that story? Oh, because the best is yet to come. There is a hope in the future of what Christ is doing. And Paul's going to get into it now. For the creation waits in eager expectation. Creation is waiting with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation itself is crying out in a way of saying, we are waiting for God's children to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation is crying out. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. God's creation is longing for new creation. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. If you're listening to what Paul is saying, creation is crying out god's people are crying out we want for redemption to come we long for what god is doing to make the world right and in verse 24 it says for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what we already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently Randy Harris says that this is Paul's attempt at humor, and we miss it. But he's saying there's, who hopes for something you already have? Like if you're hoping for a million dollars, you already have a million dollars. You know, what sense is that? But we're hoping for something we do not yet have. And this suffering and what we're enduring, what we're trying to get through. Creation is crying out, we are crying out, and it's all hinges on this hope that we have. So creation cries, we cry, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, uh, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The creation groans, the children of God groan, and God's Spirit is groaning, all of it begging of God. Would you redeem us? Would you take away our suffering? Would you make your world right? And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And it allows us to look at verse 28 in its full context. Romans 8.28, an often quoted phrase, is meant to give us encouragement. That no matter what's going on, we can look at the Spirit that was alive in Christ. Hear me on this. At the crucifixion, the very worst thing that possibly could have happened. Hey, look, here's the Son of God, and then they kill Him. Imagine the despair. Imagine the suffering. Imagine just how bad that is. And Paul says, the spirit that brought Jesus back to life is alive in you. And so Paul's perspective of looking at Jesus is saying this, that the suffering that we all go through is creation crying out, It's you crying out. It's God's Spirit crying out. And God will make good. I can't explain why bad things happen to good people. And I hope I never say to someone who's going through a hard time, well, you must have sinned to cause that to happen to you. The truth is, is I don't have an answer, but what I do have is a hope. And this is the perspective I want for you and encourage you and want to build up. And if you can hear me, is whatever these moments of crisis and sadness and suffering and despair, whatever they are, God can work through them. God can deliver you. God can help you. God is offering you hope. God is giving us salvation. And as we groan, we're not doing it independently. But all of creation is crying out to God. And God's Spirit is crying out as well. Lord, please come and make your creation new. It's this hope that Paul is laying out. And it's this hope that I'm trying to offer you today. That if you believe in Christ, the spirit that was a, that brought Jesus Christ to life is a spirit that can be within you. A spirit of life, of peace, of no longer being condemned. Friends, I think Romans is about hope. It's about getting all of our good theology intact so that we focus on Jesus that we see Him in the right lens as the Savior, King, and Lord of our creation. The whole earth is groaning. It's not just a handful of you that are complainers. We all groan. When three children were taken from our community senselessly, we groaned. We cried. And I can't make sense of that. But I can trust and know that God is working in some way to reveal his love and compassion and kindness. And it's that hope we have to hang on to. I know you and I know your stories and I know your heartaches. I know know there's moments in your life that you look back on and you're still trying to figure out what God is doing. And I don't have an answer for that. But what, what I can tell you is, what you're going through now, it won't compare to the glory that's coming. And one day we'll look back at our life and we'll say to one another, you see how good God is. And you see what He's done for you and what He's done for me even though the wages of sin is death, isn't it good that we've been given the free gift of eternal life in Jesus? Let's not give up on the hope that we have in Him, trusting and knowing that whatever we're going through, that perseverance turns into character, character, hope. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You, and we pray that you would lead us. God, we, we can't do anything to control the suffering in our world. If it were up to us, we would offer our attempts to fix it. Help us to be a people who trust and know that you're, You are at work. For whatever we're going through, God, as Your children, let us know that we're not alone. Help us to see that your spirit is with us, giving us life. Let us be attentive to you and what you're doing. God, help us to minister to one another in our sadness. Let us remind one another of the hope that we have. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, I'd ask that you would please stand. And I didn't finish Paul's thought, and so I want to do that. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own son, but gave Him up for us all, how will we also not along with Him graciously give us all things? If there's no condemnation, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, He's at the right hand of God, and He is interceding for us.